Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. Uh, It's good to gather with you this morning on a cold January morning. And for those of you that weren't here last week, Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a good time at Christmas and uh, at New Year, whether you were in town or out of town or had people in or whatever, wherever God took you over this uh, last holiday season. But it's good just to be back. Uh, Thankful for Dave Henders preaching last week. Uh, for me and just getting the year started off, but it's good just together this morning uh, for, for me to be back up here and just to gather with you and get our year started off together as a church. Um, we're going to be in, uh, in the Bible this morning as we are every week, so if you need a copy of the Bible, just raise your hand. We'll have a few folks bring a Bible around to you, so just keep your hand up until, uh, until they find you uh, so that you can read along with us this morning. You know, at Christmas, a lot of times, I'm sure a lot of us uh, either received or gave gifts or some combination of both. And maybe this Christmas or some past Christmas, you've gotten something that was uh, what you would consider kind of an invaluable gift, an invaluable gift. And uh, for something to be invaluable, um, it, it doesn't have to necessarily mean it's the most expensive thing. And, and it may not mean even that it was a gift given to you, but it's some possession that you have, something that you really prize and cherish. And just for something to be invaluable means it just, it's difficult to replace. It's, it's costly to replace. There's really difficult to put a genuine price on it because it's special, because it's dear to you, because it's precious, because it actually may be costly. And so it could be something like a picture of or from a family member or friend, a, a nice journal, a new book, a, a fine wine, a computer, a car, clothes, uh, a, a nice meal with somebody, just somebody you enjoy spending time with. You could say, man, that is an invaluable thing. Something that holds a status in your life that's invaluable because, because of who gave it to you. Maybe that's why it's invaluable to you. And really what that means is that anything for any of us can be called invaluable in our lives. But no matter what it is, uh, what do you do with something that's invaluable to you? What do you do with that? You protect it, right? You guard it. You, you, you make sure that it's, it's protected. Guarded. You want to make sure you're taking care of it so it's not lost. You're, you're either protecting it in a literal way or a figurative way in your life. But, but this morning, my question for us is this. What if that which is truly most invaluable to your life That which is most truly invaluable to your existence and to your being is actually what protects you, actually what guards you. And so today, as we start off the year together as a church, we're going to take some time to look at the invaluable Word of God and how critical it is for us as individuals and for us as a church family together if we are going to be faithful to be and do all that God has called us to be and do. And so this morning, we're going to look at a few verses in Psalm 119. And there's these few verses that I want us to see as we look at these, the the invaluable nature of God's Word and how God's Word guards us and how it guides us and how God's Word is glorious to us. And then we'll close out our time with some assessment and application about how these truths can help us live out our vision to know and live and share together in 2017. So with that, let's go ahead and read our text this morning, and then we'll pray After that, for the Lord to bless our time in His Word as we talk about His invaluable Word this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to Psalm 119. The Psalms are kind of right smack in the middle of your Bible, and Psalm 119 is uh, pretty much in the middle of the Psalms. We're going to be reading uh, verses 9 through 16 this morning. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. This is what the psalmist says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 
I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come before you and we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do a work in our hearts and our lives this morning as we look at your word. And as we look at your word, we're looking at your word to talk about your word, to see the invaluable nature of your word that you've given to us. And so I pray through the power of your spirit that you would empower the preaching of your word this morning to impact our hearts and our lives, that we would walk out of here cherishing the fact that you have spoken to us through your word. You've given us this gift and it would radically transform our lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you just to work in our hearts, invite you to work in our lives this morning to do something that's only possible because of your power and your presence. And so we submit this time to you, we give this time to you, and we submit ourselves to your word this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119 is the longest of the Psalms, and it's the, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. There's 176 verses in Psalm 119. It's longer than some other whole books of the Bible. It has many focuses and themes throughout it, but an overarching theme in Psalm 119 is this, that God's Word is essential to life in any and all circumstances. God's Word is essential to life in any and all circumstances. And so today we're going to focus just on these few verses, 9 through 16, that I just read. And through them, we're going to see the invaluable nature of God's Word. God's Word that guards us. God's Word that guides us. And God's Word that is glorious. And those are going to be our three main points this morning. So let's jump into the first one. God's Word guards us. Verse 9 is really the overarching principle of this particular section of this psalm. And it's phrased as a question, but really it's a statement of truth as well. The psalmist says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. If you grew up in the church, maybe you went through catechism classes where there was a question and an answer. And it was helping establish truth for you. And so this is almost like this. He's asking this question and giving us the answer. How can a young man keep his way pure? Here's the answer by guarding it according to your word. Now the psalmist is praying. He's talking to God about his word. But this isn't just for young men. So ladies, I don't want you to check out. But it's not just for young women and young men either. It's really for all of us. Maybe the reason he talks about young men here is because Young men and young women in particular are, are uh, given over to our passions and desires more. But at the end of the day, all of us struggle with sin. All of us do, no matter what age we are. And the psalmist says, how can this young person, this young man, this young woman, how can someone keep his way pure? But this isn't just talking about sexual sin or sexuality in particular, sexual purity, though it certainly includes that. See, I think a lot of times when we're in the church, if you've been around the church for a while, you hear the word purity, and usually what we immediately associate with that is sexual purity. And again, it includes that, but it's much broader than that. The pure life, the pure life that God is calling us to is about purity from living a life unstained from the world. It's about living a life that's in line with the ways and the will and the glory of God. So really the psalmist is talking about all of life. He's talking about fighting for faith. Is our flesh and the world and our enemy wage war against us? 
calling us to be and do something other than what God is calling us to be and do. And I've said this many times at Sojourn, but it's just important for us to remember this, just to keep this at the forefront of our minds, is that our culture and our world is never going to stop speaking to you and calling you and wooing you and seeking to distract you and take your affections and your attention and place it on anything but God. We don't live in a, in a world that's, that's, um, that's set on just neutra- neutrality and coming towards us. It's always preaching to us. It's always trying to teach us and draw us away from what God would have for us. But God's word guards us. God's word protects us. It keeps us. And so when we're struggling with sin, God's word confronts and convicts and reminds us of God's way and his will His way and His will that are better, that are perfect, and are for our good. When we're struggling with our identity, with who we are, really kind of questioning and wrestling with, with, man, who am I as a person? When we're wrestling with that, God's Word reminds us of who we've become in and through Jesus. And that's where our primary identity lies. When we're struggling with belief, maybe questioning whether God exists or not, whether God is really true to Himself, God's word calls us back to the king of the ages, immortal, indivisible, the only God who deserves honor and glory forever and ever. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and, and to us as well. And, and he talks about the end, of, at the end of the book of Ephesians in chapter 6 about the idea of the fact that if you and I are seeking to live lives that are pleasing to God, if we're seeking to walk the narrow road of following Jesus in a world that's set against Jesus, then we're going to encounter struggle. We're going to encounter difficulty. But he says the thing we're primarily fighting against, the pre- thing we're primarily waging war against, are the schemes of the devil, the schemes of the enemy who's seeking to distract you and pull you away from God's good will for you. Then he gives an analogy and says, when we're in this midst of this battle, we're in the midst of this fight, we need to put on the full armor of God. And he gives this picture of what the armor looks like. But he says this in verses 16 and 17. He says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In all circumstances, do these things. Take the shield, take the sword, take the very Word of God that encourages our faith, that calls us to faith and protects us against the lies of the enemy, that protects us against the schemes of the one who wants nothing more than to destroy you, wants nothing more than to devour you, wants nothing more than to discourage you. Who wants to shame you and isolate you and invalidate you and your faith? Who wants nothing more than to mar the image of God in you? And if you're in Christ, the image of God that he's restoring to become more and more like Jesus, the process that's begun to make you more and more like Christ, he wants nothing more than to destroy that in your life. So he says, then take up this this shield of faith, take up this sword of the spirit, the word of God. But I mean, we obviously know, right? He's not saying that we should like put a string on this and tie it around our neck. We're not supposed to walk around defending ourselves with our Bible or beating people over the head with it. This isn't this literal sword that we pull out and we're using in that way. That's not what he's talking about here. But he is talking about taking it up and reading it. And we have to take it up and read it in order to be able to heed what God's Word actually says to us to guard us. It's not going to have much use if we never open it. This leads to our next point. 
God's word guards us, but God's word also guides us. God's word also guides us. There's so many different terms here that the psalmist uses to describe God's word. Just in this section of this psalm, he uses word, commandments, statutes, rules, testimonies, and precepts, all to describe the same thing. What the psalmist is trying to communicate to us here is that this is God's covenantal instruction for his people. God has sought out a people. He's brought a people into relationship with him. And he has given us his word to guide us, to instruct us. And so this means that God's word is meant to be instructive and authoritative for our lives. It's meant to guide us in the good ways of God, to show us what life with God looks like, the good life, what it looks like. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's profitable. It's invaluable to be able to do these things in your life. God's word is invaluable because it's so critically useful and necessary for our lives to mold us and shape us, to, to convict us and confront us and conform us to be more and more like the living word, the perfect man, Jesus. And so that's why we see then the psalmist says, then with my whole heart, I seek out you, I seek you in your word. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. My lips declare the rules of your mouth. I delight in the way of your testimonies. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This man who's writing this psalm, who's speaking to God, understands the invaluable nature of God's word as a guide for his whole life. But he also understands that it's his responsibility to learn God's word. See, he's saying, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to fix my eyes. I'm going to hide your word in my heart. I'm not going to forget it. But at the very same time, he also recognizes that he needs help in the process. He needs help. He needs God's help. Because like all of us, he has instincts that, that pull him away, that drive him in other directions than the ways and the will of God. And so he also prays, let me not wander from your commandments. God, teach me your statutes. He doesn't separate God from his word. He doesn't separate and say, well, I'm just going to get into this myself and forget that God is the one that's given this to me. No, he prays and asks for God's help. And so we see prayer and the word go together. They're connected. They must be. He knows he needs God's help to understand and actually apply what God's word says to his life. And he, he seeks God in that, in and through his word to do that. See, I think this is where there's a difference when we approach the scriptures between meditation and mindlessness. A difference between meditation and mindlessness. When studying and reading the Bible, if that's just become kind of a legalistic exercise for you, and what I mean by that is that for you, it's just, a, it's just a matter of kind of rote behavior and box checking. That you feel like, well, I guess I'm supposed to do this, so I'll do it. Or maybe even further than that, you believe that God loves you more, cares about you more, will bless you more because you read his word. It's just become this thing that you do, a transactional kind of thing to be able to get something from God or earn favor for him. If all it is for you, then it can feel like box checking. And when you do that, when you engage God's word in that way, then it's often done in a mindless way. You you may read it, but you're not digesting it. You may read it, but you're not taking it in to who you are. See, God's word is like water. 
But instead of being water that nourishes a plant to life, it's water that rolls off a duck's back. It's there, it's present, but it's not taking root. But see, when we come to the Word to meditate on it, we come to let the Word roll around in our lives, to to permeate, to infiltrate every aspect of who we are, every nook and cranny of your life. God's Word, when we're meditating on it, is seeking to fill every nook and cranny in your life, to fill you up, to take root in your life. Look at, what verse 11, look at verse 11 with me again. He says this. He says, he says that he stored up God's word in his heart. He stored it up in his heart. I have a storage room in my house, and it's in a part of our house that uh, if, you, if we haven't taken you to that storage room, you may probably don't even know it's there. It's kind of hidden. It's tucked away. You have to walk through two different doors to get to this particular storage room, and it's not a room we go to very often. It's, it's got a bunch of stuff in it, and uh, it just most of the time stays dark and with the lights off, and it's not visited very often. And storage areas tend to be that way, whether it's a closet or a storage unit that you have, it's not an often visited place. But when the psalmist is talking about storing God's word in his heart, he's not putting it somewhere to keep it in the dark. He's not putting it somewhere to be an, uh, a place that you don't often go to. No, quite the opposite. He's storing God's word in his heart because the heart is the motivational structure of your life. He's saying, I'm placing God's word in the place that everything about me comes from. Out of your heart, the mouth speaks. Out of your heart is where worship comes from, what you ascribe worth and value to. Out of your heart is where decisions are made. And so what he's saying is, I'm taking God's word and I'm putting it in that place because I want it to so impact everything about who I am and what I do. When we recognize God's word for what it is, a guard and a guide, and we store it in our hearts, our inner person then is so shaped that it does impact every aspect of our thinking, every aspect of our decision-making, every aspect of our life. Eastern meditation oftentimes is equated with mindlessness. Eastern meditation oftentimes is about emptying your mind. But biblical meditation, what the psalmist is talking about, is the complete opposite. He's talking about filling your mind. Filling your mind and your heart with that which is truth. God's word. And by filling your mind with that which is true is removing those things which aren't. And confronting those things which aren't. So when we understand that God's word is a guide to keep us on the path to life. When we were in the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about walking the narrow way with Jesus. God's word guides us along that way. When we understand that, when we grasp that, we can understand why he says that we, we long to meditate, we long to fix our eyes, we long to hide it on our hearts and repeat it with our lips. Straying from the way that God would have for you is possible at all points in your life. It's possible when you've just become a new believer, when you've just started following Jesus, and it's possible even if you've been walking with Jesus for a really, really long time. So what that means for you and for me is that we never move beyond the importance of being intimately acquainted with God's Word. We never move on. We never arrive with God's Word. Hebrews 4 says that God's Word is living and active. It means it always has something to say into and speak into your life. We never move on from that. At the end of the day, the most significant way that God's word guides us is by pointing us back to who God is and who we are. It's through God's word that we understand who he is, that he's a transcendent God, that he's all-powerful, that he's ever-present, that he's gracious and slow to anger, that he's full of steadfast love and mercy, that he is 
the creator of all things, that he holds all things together. And at the very same time, we learn through God's word who we are, that apart from Christ, we're separated from God, that apart from Christ, we have sin in our life and we rebelled against God, that we are creatures, not the creator, that we worship other things. But also through God's word, we learn that through Christ, we have a new identity, that we've been brought close to God, that God's transforming us and changing us and he promises to complete the good work he's begun in you. That the old is gone, the new has come. That's what God's word reminds us and it guides us in that way over and over and over again. It reminds us of how desperate we are for grace grace, and at the very same time how lavish God gives grace to us in and through Christ, the living word. See, from beginning to end then, the Bible is all about Jesus. God's perfect eternal son who he sent to us as one of us to rescue us. It's a storyline of the Bible. It's the narrative of the Bible that that is God's purpose and plan is to bring you into relationship with him through Christ. Now, the Bible doesn't speak exhaustively about everything. It doesn't speak exhaustively about everything, but everything it does speak about is everything that we need to live lives that are pleasing to God. And he's given that to us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge, that's everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us. Through the knowledge of him, well, how do we understand and grow in our knowledge of God? It's through his word. So everything we need, everything you need for life and godliness, to live a life that's pleasing to God, to live a life that's directed to give glory to God and not to yourself is found in God's word. To be and do all that he's called you to be into. And how it's possible to actually do that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These verses in Psalm 119 paint a picture of someone who has been profoundly impacted by God's word and God's ways. But see, this person in this psalm, he's not just interested in intellectual pursuit of knowledge. He's not just interested in looking at the Bible and how often do we approach it that way that we think, man, this is just an intellectual exercise. I'm just trying to gain head knowledge. I want to know more information. See, the Bible is not just for information. It's for transformation. This is a man who's been so transformed by God's word. He's more interested in knowing the who of the word, who it is that's speaking to him, who it is that's given this word to him and who it points him to. Which leads to our third point. God's word guards us. God's word guides us. And thirdly, God's word is glorious. God is God. He has existed for all eternity. There was never a point when God was not. How do we know that? We know that through his word. See, God did not have to reveal himself to us. God could have created us and left us to ourselves, but that's not who God is. It goes against his nature. It goes against his very character. Our God is a speaking God. He spoke all of creation into existence. He breathed breath into Adam, the first man, and he spoke his words to his people through the prophets. And in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. God's word guards us. God's word guides us. And because of those things, it's glorious to us. It's a glorious gift to us that you and I can grow in our knowledge of the living God. We can grow in our knowledge of him, and as we do that, we can grow in a knowledge of ourselves. And so then, as God's people, we should love God's word. 
Listen, we love God's word. We find God's word glorious, not because of it in itself. We love God's word and we find it glorious because it's from God, because he's revealed himself to us. See, what the psalmist makes clear here, what this psalm, this section makes clear is that worship of God and knowing God's word go hand in hand. If we want to see our worship of God increase, if we want to see our worship of God more focused on him and not other things, then it's going to come by being people locked in and rooted in God's word. We go back to verse 11 again. Storing up this idea in his heart is this the idea of treasuring something. We treasure that which is most valuable to us. In this case, the invaluable word of God. But See, I think this is where we need to press in a bit more. My fear is is that if we hear a call this morning to be in the Word, to memorize God's Word, to meditate on God's Word, to fix our eyes on His Word, to store it in our hearts, that it can seem burdensome to us. It can seem overwhelming to us. But maybe that's because we're seeing it as a duty instead of delight. See, I think maybe it's because we're looking at it the wrong way. Reading God's word, being a people of the word, being a man of the word, being a woman of the word is not a box to be checked. It's a meal to enjoy. If someone gives me the option of doing up-downs, stairs, hills, and sprints in order to get one bite of a mediocre meal, or I can arrive at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse at 7 p.m., have a nice appetizer, a perfectly cooked filet, with a side of garlic mashed potatoes, some fine wine, and cheesecake for dessert, and it's all paid for, which one am I going to choose? Man, I'm going to Roost Chris. But see, I think sometimes when we come to seeing the word as duty, we look at it like running hills instead of delighting in it like eating an amazing meal. And when we do that, it's not hard to see why we struggle to come to it. It's not hard to see why we struggle to to run to God's word on a daily basis because we see it as duty instead of delight, instead of this amazing thing to enjoy that God's given to us. See, what I want us to see, what our psalmist, I think, is trying to help us see this morning is that this is not a duty, but it's a delight. It's a glorious blessing, a gift to us that the God of all creation has spoken to you. That the God of all creation has revealed himself to you. The God of all creation is continuing to guide you and guard you through his word. God's word guards us. Guards, God's word guides us and God's word is glorious. But how many of us this morning, though we call ourselves followers of Christ, are still like young babies? We're still in the place, how many of us this morning, of drinking milk instead of eating meat? We have enough information to know a little bit here and there that we can piece together, but we don't have that intimate knowledge of God as he's spoken to us in and through his word. So all of this leads to some assessment and application for us today. The American church is becoming, if it's not already there, biblically illiterate. Biblically illiterate. And what's the consequence of that? What's the result of that? The result of that is we become a, a people who have no spiritual discernment. We, we, come, we become a people with no spiritual direction. We find ourselves listening to all different kinds of voices that sound spiritual enough, but it's difficult for us to sift through them to know what is true and what isn't when we don't have a biblical literacy, when we don't know God's Word intimately. And in life, then, we find ourselves being tossed to and fro like a man in the midst of waves, the waves of life. We become double-minded, 
We don't know our right from our left when it comes to living a life that's pleasing to God. We're confused because there's no grounding anchor in our life. There's no grounding anchor for our hearts and our minds and our souls. See, the picture of the word that we see in Psalm 119, 9 through 16, is a picture of God's guarding, guiding, and glorious word that is so deeply rooted in our hearts. It's so deeply rooted in our minds. It's so deeply rooted in our lives that it's difficult to dislodge the truth of God's word even during difficulty or challenge in our life. I mean, there's moments that you've walked through. There's moments that I've walked through that if God's word has been hidden deep in our hearts, when we're walking through that difficulty, even the lies, even the difficulty can't dislodge God's truth from our lives and our hearts because we've stored it up there. But see, when we confront difficulty, when we confront trial, and we haven't hidden God's word, then it's easy for us to be pushed to and fro because there's nothing holding us down. There's nothing rooting us there. Maybe you're in a season of life right now dealing with sickness or difficulty. Maybe you're the mom of young kids and it's difficult for you to find a quiet moment to even engage with God's word. But man, we can come back to this and know that maybe it's been years or months of hiding God's word in your heart and you can still pull from those truths to confront the lies and the schemes of the enemy that come after you. When temptation comes, when God's word is rooted in your heart, you can deal with it because it's so deeply rooted. You're so deeply anchored. See, God's word sometimes is difficult for us to comprehend and and wrestle with. In John chapter 6, Jesus himself has just said some very hard things to a large group of people who've been following after him. And the words are so hard, so difficult for them to swallow that some of them walk away from Jesus. They walk away from him. Sometimes God's word, what it says is difficult. It's challenging. It's convicting. Hebrews 4 again says that it cuts like a two-edged sword. It, It exposes us. All of our false beliefs, all of our false worship and the life that flows from that. But man, what a gift that is. That out of love, God's word confronts our lives and by the spirit, he brings us into conformity to his word. But how can God's word guard? How can it guide? How can it be glorious to us if we don't take it up and read? It's like having an alarm system that's never armed. Or maybe you are one of those people, your family is one of those people who have signs for an alarm system outside of your house, but you don't actually even have an alarm system. Man, do we do that with God's word sometimes? It's there. We know, yeah, it guards me. Man, I'm not using it though. Or maybe it's like having a GPS that you never turn on. I mean, if I wanted to know where to go, I could turn on my GPS, but I can think I can figure it out on my own. How many of us approach God's word like that? Or maybe it's like a treasure that's never admired. It's locked away somewhere, never looked at, never used. It's become a rusty sword stuck in its scabbard, collecting dust, literally or figuratively. See, so many times I meet with people as a pastor in a church. People are struggling with different things, struggling with sin, struggling with belief, People who are seeking to justify their actions and massage the truth of God's word to fit their choices in life. Whether that be dating or finances or business decisions or what they do for fun on the weekends. Whatever it might be. And so often in the midst of those conversations, what becomes clear is one of two things. They've either set aside God's word completely or they've sought to place themselves over God's word. 
picking and choosing and interpreting a way, in the way that fits their lives and their choices. But see, when we do that, and in doing that, we've forgotten what the word is that we're reading. It's God's word to us. It's the living God of all creation, your creator, your good father who's speaking to you, and it is all for your good. See, when we reject the guarding, guiding, glorious, invaluable nature of Scripture, when we choose to see it as a book of suggestions instead of a way to life, what we're doing is not rejecting the Scriptures. We're rejecting the Lordship of God in our lives. God's Word seeks to confront and conform us, and sometimes it's hard to take in. We don't like to be told that we're doing something wrong. We like to be the king of our own castle. We like to be the one who's calling the shots in our lives. And so sometimes God's word rubs up against us and it it creates friction and tension and we don't like it. Back in John 6, when these people walk away because of these hard things that Jesus says, when he confronts them with the truth that they're having difficulty wrapping their minds around, Jesus turns to his other disciples, the 12 closest disciples, and he asks a question. And I love Peter's answer to him because it's so encouraging, and it's one of the most honest answers that we could receive, and I hope it's encouraging to you this morning. It says this, John six sixty six through 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else will we go? Where else will we go? To whom shall we go? You're the only one who, who speaks these kinds of words. You're the only one who speaks words of life. Man, have you ever been there? I know I have. You're wrestling with belief. You're wrestling with what God's word says. You're wrestling with the circumstances of your life. And you're really questioning whether you want to keep following this God. Whether he's worth giving your life to. Whether what his word says is actually true. But when you step back for a minute and say to yourself, where else am I going to go though? Who else speaks these kinds of words of life? Who else gives me hope? Who else gives me peace? Who else gives me joy in life? Even when I don't understand what he's doing, who else? What other words speak to this way? And I know for me in my life, that's kept me coming back over and over and over again in times of difficulty and struggle, in times of temptation and difficulty and trial in my life. But it's been a process and a time of continuous soak in God's word, of spending time in college, really getting into the Bible, and then working in the marketplace and making sure spending time in God's word, even now still wrestling that, trying to carve out time because I believe who else has these words of life? See, I think a lot of us, instead of standing over God's word, standing over it and seeking to interpret God's word, using our life as the lens with which to interpret it, We need to submit ourselves to God's word and place God's word over our life and allow God's word to be the thing that actually interprets our lives, not the other way around. Allow scripture to interpret your suffering. Allow scripture to interpret your difficulty. Allow scripture to interpret your dating relationship. Allow scripture to interpret your friendship. Allow scripture to interpret your singleness. Allow Scripture to interpret your marriage. Allow it to interpret your leisure time and your activities, what you do with your free time. 
Allow Scripture to interpret your finances and your business decisions. Allow Scripture to interpret your parenting. Allow Scripture to interpret your attitude towards other people, towards the source of your joy and your peace. Allow Scripture to interpret your identity. Allow it to interpret your hopes and your dreams. See, we can do that when we actually see God's Word as guarding, as guiding, as glorious, as we see it as invaluable. Man, we're going through anything in life. We run back to this and say, God, I need to be reminded of who you are. I need to be reminded of who I am. We can't flip open to a particular page and say, well, should I move to this place or that? Should I take this job or that? Should I date this person or not? Man, God gives us his guiding, guarding word to show us what the good life looks like. What is most glorious and honoring to him. As one pastor and author says, we resist temptation the way Jesus did through the word of the kingdom. As we follow Jesus, we see the gospel reclaim our identity, reorder our desires, and reframe our future. See, God's word stored in our hearts helps us not sin against the Lord because it reminds me of who God is. It reminds me of who I am. It reminds me of the joys of walking with God in the cool of the day instead of hiding from God for fear or shame. Brothers and sisters, read the Bible the way Jesus reads it, not the way the devil preaches it to you. Not as rules to be beaten over the head with, but as grace that allows you to be set free from that which you cannot do on your own. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, let me just ask you this question. Have you genuinely engaged with God's Word? Have you taken it up and read God's Word and allowed it to speak into your life, to interpret your life and to see the hope that is in it for new life? See, God's Word makes this abundantly clear. You are far worse than you ever imagined, but far more loved than you could ever hope. So I just invite you, if you don't know Christ, for you to come to God's Word. And then through coming to God's Word, you would come to God, knowing that He's speaking to you and He's inviting you to new life through Christ our Savior, your only hope. All of us find ourselves as sojourners, exiles, temporary residents, strangers in a strange land, awaiting our blessed hope, the return of our King and the fullness of His kingdom. Sojourn Church is called Sojourn Church because this place is not our home. All of us are on a spiritual journey, and we want to journey together to and with Jesus. That's why the vision of this church, the reason Sojourn Church exists, is to glorify God by making disciples who know the gospel, live out the implications of the gospel, and share the message of the gospel. Know, live, share. And it's through God's Word, through engaging God's Word personally and together as a community that we're able to do all three of these things. God's Word undergirds everything we do as a church family. If we're going to know the Gospel, what it says about God and ourselves, we're going to find that in God's Word. If we're going to live out the implications of the Gospel, of of new life in Christ, if we're going to be theologians and have a right understanding of God, if we're going to be worshipers and have a right worship of God, if we're going to be family together, brothers and sisters learning how to live in community, if we're going to be sojourners seeking to do good for our city, 
as kingdom citizens, if we're going to be missionaries taking the message of the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, God's word tells tells us what that looks like. And if we're going to share the message of the gospel, both with believers and non-believers, we find that in God's word. It's a message to be proclaimed. But we have to be willing to do this together. See, one of my favorite things about this church, one of the greatest gifts from God to this church, what he's done is helping to do is to help us to understand what it looks like to be a family, to develop real community with one another. Now, it's not a perfect community. We don't get it all right. I mean, it's a gift, a value of ours to be brothers and sisters together. And God's blessed me with dear brothers in my life who who encourage me and pray with me and for me and, and speak God's truth, speak God's word into my life. We cannot help one another grow into Christ-likeness. We cannot help one another to become who God is calling us to be apart from each other and apart from ministering God's word to one another. Ministering God's word could be a text message. Ministering God's word could be studying the Bible together. Ministering the God's word to one another may be just having someone read God's word over you. Bringing it to us. Sharing it with us. Counseling us with God's word. See, we are able to, to be and do all that God has called us to be and do through the preaching of God's word. We gather every week and we always preach out of the scriptures believing this is God's word to us. And then we can take that and we can wrestle with it with one another and, and hold one another accountable to the preaching of God's word. But we also are called to read on a, on a smaller level, just on an individual basis. And that's one of the reasons I'm really excited about the community Bible reading journal that we handed out last week. And we have more of today. It's this journal that in it is just a, a time, an opportunity for us not to, not to have a daily Bible reading plan, but a plan to read the Bible daily. That we'd be in God's Word on a regular basis. And the goal is to become more biblically literate as we read through the Bible over time. It's to enjoy an increased intimacy with the God who wrote the Scriptures. But it's also to enjoy an increased intimacy with one another as we seek to get into God's Word and participate together. Started reading it this past week, started working through it this past week, and it's been so encouraging to me this week to text different brothers in our church and, and share things that we're learning from the book of Luke that we're reading right now. Or to talk with my wife about that. And just to, it doesn't have to be long conversations, but just to say, man, we're all doing this together. We're reading God's word together. It's also why the maker of this journal says that the point of this, again, is not to check boxes off. There are no boxes to check. He even tells you, don't try and catch up when you miss a day. Because it's more important for you to be reading what everybody else is reading on the same day, knowing I have a lot of other people who are engaging God's word in the same way right now. We bought 175 of these to give out. I'm hoping that together as a church, we can be in the word together. We can read it together. We can see Jesus in it together. And by seeing Jesus in it together, we can display Jesus together in 2017. If you read yesterday, Psalm 1 was yesterday. I mean, it's all about God's word, about being that man planted like a tree by streams of water, yielding its fruit in its season, prospering in all that you do. And that's what God's calling us to. So if you didn't grab one last week, grab one today before you leave. And I'm hopeful for how God will use this in your life, but also how he'll use it in this church as we seek to be a people of the word. So let's help each other. Let's hold each other accountable. 
Psalm 119, 9 through 6 is a picture of a person who is delighting in the word of God, who sees it as invaluable. Maybe that be you this year. And may that be me this year as well. That we would take it up and read. Sojourn, take up and read the guarding, guiding, glorious, invaluable word of God. We're going to come to communion table now. And communion is a meal that points us to the core story of the Bible, that we are wicked men and women in need of rescue, but that God has purposed to redeem us and to save us through sending his son to be a substitute for us. Jesus lived a perfect life of perfect obedience to God's word. And Jesus died a sacrificial death on, in our place on our part because we couldn't do that taking on the punishment for our sin and our disobedience. And so this meal declares that Jesus' body was given for you. It declares that Jesus' blood was shed for you so that you could be restored to God. So that we could have a right understanding of who God is. So that we could have a right worship of God. And so that we could be brought together as a family of brothers and sisters. And so as you come forward this morning, I just want to invite you to come this morning rejoicing together. Rejoice with me that everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us in and through Christ, the living word. So take the bread and the cup, eat and drink, and praise God for his grace toward you today. For those of you that are not followers of Christ, I just ask you not to come forward And the reason of that is not to make you feel awkward or weird. People are going to be moving around this morning. And I just want to invite you, though, instead of coming forward, just to hang out in your seat Because this meal doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything for you if you don't already know Christ. But as I said earlier, I want you to, I want to invite you to Jesus. I want to invite you to come to God's word and come to Christ. Acknowledging the fact that you need salvation. You need forgiveness through what Jesus has done for you. If that's you this morning, just hang out in your seat. Ask God to save you today as you sit there. And then let somebody know so that we can journey with you in that. And you can come take communion with us next week. Those of you that will come forward, feel free to come to the front or to the back. Tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and simply this morning praise you for your word. We praise you for the gift that your word is. And I pray this morning that as the word has been preached and read this morning, that it may not return void. Father, make us a people, a church, a family that delights in your word. Impact us, change us, transform us so that we might be and do all that you've called us to be and do in and through Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.